Stella. Sunny Stella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast, your only podcast of interdimensional exploration and adventure. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore the amazing Fringeworthy universe. First of all, big announcement, Fringeworthy Novel is nearing completion. Richard was giving out pre-release copies of it at his booth. So any of you who remembered our release saying go up and tell him Mellorbait now has a copy in your hands. We'd love to hear from you guys as to what you think of it. Feel free to post a message on our forums at www.tritacgamers.com or over at www.groups.yahoo.com slash Fringeworthy on our website, the Fringeworthy Podcast. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Every single person, and I'm not talking about just the players, but every person, as soon as I said, we're working on a Savage World version of Fringeworthy, they all said, oh, yeah, I've got to see that when it comes out. Guys, we got to put a fire under ourselves and get this version out because there is clearly some people ready to jump on it and help us uh, promote it. I'm running my demos in the afternoon on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Blix is running his demos in the evening at Dragon Con. Those who come to my event, because I'm, I'm just running one event three times, that's uh, the same event, is going to be one of the big plot points in the book. You know, you'll be one of the first people to, to actually play this plot point. It'll be slightly different when it goes into the book because uh, at a convention, I've got to railroad people a little bit more than I would in the book. You know, the, the game master will, of course, have a lot more control and a lot more say on how things go because he's going to have to cater it to his players and everything. Like, I'm handing people characters, and these characters have been specially designed to run, you know, for a con for this adventure. Yeah, you should definitely come out. You should come to my table. I, I ran this up at uh, OGC up in New Hampshire, and every single person who played it loved it. They had a great time. It's called Deutschland über alles. The premise is that Hitler got the bomb. He used it, and he's managed to take over uh, just about everything. He's not in control of America or China, but he's got them in check. The adventurers, they have a contact with the French resistance, and they're being sent in to steal the plutonium that he has left over. He's managed to manufacture, steal the scientists that he stole that can do something with the plutonium, and destroy the factory. It's a really fun Indiana Jones-ish, seat-of-your-pants kind of adventure. It's mostly action. And there's a little bit of time I take in between action scenes for the characters to interact with the, you know, the environment and to do things, but it's, uh, it's a good time. So, Trav, what are you doing? All right, at Conclave, which is in Romulus, Michigan, at the Crown Plaza Hotel, October 8th through 10th, I will be running, most likely on the Saturday, midday, a Fringeworthy D20 game, a pulp 
style game. Two-Fist Adventurers, Guns Blazing, Shadow type. I'll be running that. I don't have the exact time yet. I have yet to talk to the people who are running the rather small gaming room at Conclave. But yeah, I will be running a game myself. I've been working on it now for about the past month. <laughs> and I even have the title for it all set. Now, I've already sprung it on the people in the TriTech forums, but hold back on the players yet for a while because I might have to run from the gaming room after I spring it on them. Well, mum's the word. <laughs> well, if you check the forums, I've already said it. Speaking of the forums, we've been going over our forum posts. We realize that there's a lot of people out there aren't part of the uh, TriTacGamers.com forums. So we thought we'd go over some of the comments and uh, some of our answers made there and see if there's anything we can do to enhance your game out there in the fringe-worthy fandom. Should we go on to our next question? All right. This one comes from Zercher, based upon our Adventuring into the Past Africa podcast. Because of the problem with women a lot of, in a lot of cultures being treated as second-class citizens and such, he had this idea for improving the standing of women in your group and, and during the adventure. He said, temporarily give the female character a man's name and or a male honorific. Tell the locals that she earned the name or title and therefore is entitled to wage war, own property, and have as many wives as she wants. I replied to that in the forums as saying it would come under the aegis of, oh, in our culture, our women can earn the right to be treated as men. Tribal societies, they're all about honor and tradition. As soon as you say that word, they're like, oh, okay, this is a fellow tribe then. They have these rules that they follow, and they may be different from ours, but they still follow rules. Yeah, we want them to honor our traditions, therefore we must honor theirs. So what do you think, John? Is that a good idea? Yeah, actually, I thought, I thought it was a great idea, too. I should reply to that, didn't That's my, my bad. Oh! <laughs> a lot of times, the way you treat other members of your team is going to inform the NPCs as to how they should treat them. If you treat your women as highly respected and that their opinions are important and they should be heard, then the NPCs are going to pick up on that if the GM's you know, doing his job. They may say, well, you know, I mean, they all seem to be listening to her, so maybe I should be listening to her too. Now, of course, you will run into those chauvinistic type NPCs. That's always going to be true. But this is a game, so therefore the GM's probably going to yeah. give you an opportunity to prove your mettle if you are somebody who would normally be a lesser considered person due to sex, gender, origin, money. I mean, there's just so many things. I recently finished reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It was amazing to read because people uh, were treated as less important, I mean, to the point where their lives were put in danger because they didn't have the right kind of families and they didn't come from the right kinds of backgrounds and education or hold the right kind of property. It was amazing to see how they people would just offhandedly do things to some of their servants and, and the common people and not even think twice about it. They treat them as if they were an almost an entirely different race. And this happens. And this is actually a good thing in a fringeworthy game because you're going to let the explorers know that there's something there for them to interact against. If everyone's just this kind of egalitarian, broad-minded group, then you have less interesting interactions with them. It's good to be able to say, hey, 
you don't treat my women that way, and, or you can't treat her that way because she is my superior. I will not stand for anyone not to treat her with the respect that she deserves, or he deserves if he's a black man or of, let's say, Irish descent. Everybody is in somebody's bad list, you know. You settle that real quick, and then they listen to you, and they listen to your women, and the women speak for themselves. You have to do it the right way, as in you don't go and create a situation that nobody can back down from. That's the bad way of doing it. Grab somebody, throw them down, say, apologize, or I'll cut your head off. You've now dishonored the person. You've now made the person lose face before his comrades. The last thing he's going to do now is, you know, I mean, there is such a thing as death before dishonor. So that's not going to get you what you want. A smart person would think of another way to say, you know, this is why we respect her. This is why we respect him. And start listing out, you know, were you at the battle of Tanshauser Gate? Were you, you know, the one who slew 50 Grigors from horseback? No, you weren't. So don't you be talking to him that way or her that way because you weren't there. You show her the respect she's earned. And that's where that bluff check comes in and that diplomacy check comes in. And all of a sudden they're like, well, yeah, she, if I'd only known, hey, you know, it's okay. I'm sorry. You know, we're all buds here now because we're all, you know, done something to deserve respect. Yeah. And, you know, these are alternates. You can always bring in as a game master if you know you have a female player in the game or you have someone who's playing a female character and you know this is going to be something that's going to come up later on. Uh, or is going to come up when they go on adventures to places like that, you can have the world not as chauvinistic as our world has been. I just pretty much finished up a book about the rise of Genghis Khan, and the women, they weren't really leaders, and they weren't really super important people in the society, but they weren't exactly property either. I mean, they kind of were in some ways, but at the same time, men listened to them when they talked as well. They They were confidants. They were important people in the society. The Mongols... They traveled around a lot, of course, because they were conquering a lot of places, so they were used to interacting with other cultures, and they were probably one of the most adaptable people yeah. during that time period. You know, remember that you guys are foreigners, and, and, and I think this was said before, you, know, you say, in our culture, women are treated you know, with respect or, or as equals, and a lot of times, if they're trying to talk to you, if they're not trying to kill you, if, you know, if they're actually in, you know, into talking to you, they're going to respect your customs. Or at least somewhat respect your customs. Otherwise, they would just kill you and take all your stuff. Don't underestimate the power of greed. People will treat other people that they would they wouldn't even cross the street to spit on, yeah. you know, with great deference if they are rich enough. And you could be that rich person. Matter of fact, you probably are that rich person when you go to most cultures because you have all these modern things that you take for granted. But in their world, even the kings and queens don't have those things. Yeah, I mean, just your your average set of aluminum pots and pans in certain time periods are worth more than gold. You pull out your pistol and you shoot a couple of times. In fact, you shot twice without reloading. Oh, yeah. yeah most people, this before revolvers, so anything prior to uh, 1830? Yeah, I think about that. Yeah, for that date, a pistol can shoot more than once without reloading is like amazing technology. <laughs> right. An automatic rifle wasn't created until the early 20th century. Even a bolt-action rifle would be amazing. It gives up eight rounds before they reload. My God! <laughs> hey, hey, John, forget about the eight rounds. He just hit a guy at 100 yards. Actually, yeah, remember the, the 
match locks and flint locks. There's a reason why in D20 Modern they have such a small range increment because they didn't shoot that far. And it was it was pouring rain. And then he moved that thing on the bottom of it and he shot another guy that was running up on him. It's like, that gun is awesome. I'm not messing with this guy. Yeah. Or I want one of those. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, but we're getting a little far afield away from respecting your women folk, okay? And anybody else who might be considered in that world of less standing than any other member of your team. Did this question extend to, uh, say, minorities in the area? Like, for example, if you're, if you're having an adventure in 1700s America and you're in a deep south and one of your members happens to be a, a black guy, mm-hmm. this is going to be kind of a hard issue to deal with. You and your players are going to have to come to an agreement that if you're going to run this world realistically, that they're going to just have to deal with the fact that the people that they run into, you know, are going to be, you know, uh, racist or bigoted towards them. There's so, going to be shoes. It does be deep south either. You could be in New York. Well, no, no, I'm saying, but I was just, I was just deep south as an example because that's, a, that's going to yeah. be predominant. If you're, if you're running their friendsworthy campaign right, sooner or later, every group is going to find themselves on the short end of the stick. And so, you know, your players should know that going in, and they should be okay with that. It's just where one group seems to always get picked on, and women is usually one of the big groups that always gets picked on. So that's why we're talking about this, ways of getting around that so they don't always get picked on. Right. But, but I think the same advice we gave, you know, for the, for the women would hold true for any minority groups, you know. Absolutely. Your team goes into sub-Saharan Africa during a time when there's no white people. And you know you got several members of your team who are white. Well, they they could feel that just as easily. Or you're in Timbuktu, but you're in Timbuktu at the height of the Muslim occupation. There you go. Yep. That's double. That's double danging you right there. <laughs> yeah. You go into Africa as a white person before they've ever been a white people. If those people know anything about animal husbandry, they're going to look at you as an albino, an inferior person, because the only thing, the only time they've ever seen anything that white, it, it barely lasted a few days before it died. So they're going to look at you as being somebody who's cursed or sick or something, you know, just because your skin's so white. Every group can become an undesirable group if, based upon the perceptions of the NPC, and that's why you have to change those perceptions. Be good, be kind to your players. Every world does not have to have mean people. You can't have a few egalitarian societies. You have to decide in advance what's the important part of this story and and let the players concentrate on that. This is just more toward a realism-type aspect that we like also. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Ooh, time travel. Okay, now this was really weird. He said, uh, this was from the, the Brother 23, and he says, uh, when it comes to time travel, I'm a strong believer in railroading. The PCs can try anything they want, but reality will go out of its way to twist itself back on course. You are agents of destiny. You don't ever change anything. You just complete what was already supposed to happen. That does have some advantages. You don't have to worry about screwing anything in the world in which you left if, because creating paradoxes could make it impossible for you to go back through the fringe portal. That was one of the assumptions, you know, that you can't change things. I don't think that necessarily you have to railroad people in that regard. The, the PCs don't have absolute knowledge of the situation, even if they have history books in front of them. History is always partial. 
when they get into a situation, they're going to make certain assumptions. The GM is going to know a lot more than they do. And there's always going to be wild cards coming into effect. So if the PCs are trying to change the past and you don't want them to, you should anticipate something about what your players might do. And if it happens, then you have to be ready to say, okay, this is what happens. Uh, if you're not ready to deal with that, then I guess you are going to have to say that time is immutable. Or you can do one of the various things that we suggested. John, what were some of the solutions we had to avoid paradox? The fringe path doesn't like paradoxes. Therefore, if there was a prime and one portal goes into the past, you can't come back until you're synced back up again with the present. You can't come back to the portal until you experience the time difference. Uh, another one is time will let you make minor changes, but nothing will actually invalidate history. So you can't kill Hitler, but you can change the color of his underwear. Um, any difference that makes no difference makes no divergence. If you make a small change, it's too small. The quantum butterflies come along and beat it down and flatten it out, and the bump's gone. So there is no butterfly effect where one tiny change causes a huge change to blossom from it. It's a D20 third-party product called Temporality by uh, Dark Horse Games. They have something called Divergences. And yeah. basically, depending on how much you interact with the environment, history will change in a, in a big enough area. If you do something radical in an environment, it could change the history of everything within a 100-mile radius of that mm -hmm. time and place. And that's something that the GM has to just realize. It's like if you make the your next thing that you commented on, John, uh, you and your crew go back a thousand years and wipe out an entire tribe of Native Americans. You gun them down with machine guns and flamethrowers. Would it change your present? No, but there would be a very big historical note saying that an entire tribe got wiped out, but it would not change the life of John, yeah. per se. A different person wins the uh, office of president in Madagascar in 1930. Does that prevent any of us from being born? Probably not. Will history be different? Just a bit, you know, because you're, you're talking political parties and stuff like that. But when it boils down to it, um, no. The quantum butterflies will fly really slow away from that one, and basically most of us will probably get born up until, like I say, about 1970s, something like that. And after that, it may start changing. But uh, up to 1970, I think most of, most of us will get born at that point. So this is one of the situations where, you know, it's... You, you really make a change, you'd have to, like, nuke New Amsterdam. That would be a big change. That would actually radically alter history. But otherwise, nah. Unless you, that unless, would be the high-level divergence of the, the yeah. publication I said. I believe it was minor, major, and catastrophic, I believe, was the third one. That would go under catastrophic there if you're wiping out a city that has yeah. become a major metropolitan factor in life on the planet. Yeah. Third example, where history doesn't let you make changes. So, right. you know, Winston, Winston Churchill was almost run over when he was in New York City. Now, this is actually a historical fact. So, you know, we go back in time. And I find the car that almost ran him over, and I'm going to drive it and, and run him over. And for real, this I make sure I ran him over. Trouble is, turns out the guy left earlier than, than it was reported. Or something prevents me from doing it. Basically, it ends up with me missing Winston Churchill by that much, and he basically has his accident, and that's it. Time goes nay, nay, boo-boo, you can't change this. You know, you're not allowed to. But I have made changes. I've taken the car. I've done various things. You know, I'm not the person who drove the car. But in the end, it doesn't make a difference. 
The easiest thing for the GM to remember that real history is the result of big forces, big trends, nation-sized economic actions. And while one individual may you know, do something and they may be the person who gets uh, all the credit for it, if that person was to die, that person had somebody who was ready to step in and uh, maybe has slightly different plans, but really they probably would have followed along the same kind of an idea. Heinlein talked about, you know, it's, you only can railroad when it's railroading time. So you could go and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to change the course of, of, of history, but you find that very, very hard because you've got all these people in one country trying to, to do something with another country. You've got social changes going on. You have religious uh, inertia and belief systems going on. And when you try changing one thing, usually something else is going to step in and keep it on status quo because that was the direction they wanted to go. Everybody wanted to do that. You know, that's why it's happening. Nobody actively is wanting to do it. Well, they're not caring whether they go that direction. Their leaders say go that direction, so they do. So you trying to change things in a big sense with a real big change in history is going to be really, really difficult. It's going to take something like nuking a city. And even then, you know, 50 years, 100 years later, you know, they may have, you know, built a new city, called it New Amsterdam, and things are pretty much the way they would have been anyways. It's hard to say. I mean, we're all, you know, anytime you do time travel and alternate histories, you're doing a huge what if. So the GM can make it as divergent or as convergent as they choose. I'm just saying is that most of the time when people try to change anything, I mean, look at your own lives. Okay. You know, everybody in the 70s says, okay, we're going to make a new future. Those people in the 80s and 90s were saying, well, gee, we didn't change anything at all. And we wanted to so badly. We elected people who said that they would change things. Well, and did they? Some things changed. Certainly a lot of, you know, way we treat certain people changed. But a lot of things didn't change because economic factors weren't, in, weren't under uh, the control of the United States because certain technologies weren't developed, uh, because it's harder to do things than we thought. You know, we thought we'd all be on the moon right now with moon bases, but, you know, it hasn't happened yet because we wanted to spend money here. Because there were an awful lot of people who said, you know, you really need to solve the problems on Earth before you go and build moon bases. And the people that get, got elected by those people said, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, we thought these were all good ideas. When it came down to it, the real forces at work said otherwise. Where's my jetpack? Yeah, I want my jetpack too. Right. Where's, where's my flying car? My flying car. Yeah. <laughs> where's my teleporter? Where's my pill that I can that I, I swallow and I don't have to eat for a week? Okay. Where? All that Jetsons level right. technology. And it that'll never happen. Uh, well, I can't say that for sure because you know in the future that pill could actually be a little nano machine, a little nano factory that could produce all kinds of nano devices that capture carbon from the air, build up complex molecules, and then proceed to shove them in your bloodstream like food. And you might actually take a pill which would essentially give you food for a week. Yep. But it won't, you know, but it won't be a pill like you know, like a chemical like we thought of as. It'd be something else. But it could be as simple as, you know, it's something that changes your genetic structure, activates some gene that now you can make chlorophyll and you can, you know, drive energy from the sun. Yeah. Right. And if you were trying to change the future, you would take that into account. 
So I'm just saying is that anytime you do time travel, you should always understand that the, the world is, isn't just twisted, it's bent. And also remember, remember too, that history is written by the victors. So a lot of your history is probably wrong. What we're saying here is, is that you don't have to railroad people in the sense that you're saying, you got to do it this way because I want you to do it. There's, there's enough material out there to basically screw with the players just from what they don't know. You know, that you don't have to do that. I mean, surprising players is part of the game. And the players will surprise you. And that's all good. So uh, time, you know, so whether or not you can actually change time has to do with whether or not you can actually establish what really happened in the first place. I, I did have one thing about if you wanted to keep the whole thing about um, uh, certain historical events and certain historical personages, they called them nexus points or nexus people that just mm -hmm. whatever reason they had to exist mm -hmm. they had to do what they did these events had to happen like this minor things you can change around you can use the what do they call it rubber science i think they call it where things will bounce back or you know after a while that these certain peoples and events yeah. were immutable well that's the assumption of the game I mean, and, and that's okay. And as soon as you make that assumption, then you're going to have to say, okay, then how do we deal with it when people try to change it? Is it really immutable? If that's the case, yeah. well, hey, that's just like that's, that's getting mad at gravity. Oh, I do. You, know, you, you don't get mad at gravity because it pulls you down yeah. and smacks you when you drop off of a building. I do. I, I Stupid gravity. Or poor blicks. Listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Well, let's go on to the next question, the last one, which is uh, from our episode of Failure. He said he really thought it was a great idea to have a replacement investigative team being sent out to find out what happened to the total party kill. That's Brother 23, and Trav responded, It only stands the reason to have this. UNISS will have done millions of dollars to have trained that team, so they're going to want to find out why their team hasn't returned. They built this whole Alice Springs complex. You know, they're dumping millions of dollars, billions of dollars, to try to find out how the fringe tech works, to train the people to get more fringe tech, and all of a sudden, what do you mean they're gone? So, yeah, they're going to want to find out why their investment supposedly fell through, which means they're going to have to spend more money in order to find that out. So, yeah, you... It says that the team that goes after them may have been friends with that previous team, too. Yeah, that's to help bond an emotional attachment to the previous characters. Like, yep. you know, they were all friends at Hasumi, or maybe even, you know, they worked together previously before. Oh, heaven to Betsy, they were married. Yeah, related in some way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, husband and wife. The wife, wife is on the other team, the husband's on the, on the team trying to rescue them. So there's definitely a set right there. There's lots of motivations for why you'd want to find out what happened to that team. Is there an outside limit? How many people would IDET be willing to lose in order to find out what happened to a team? I addressed that, a little bit of that, in the, um, in the plot point adventure that I'm running at DragonCon. As a matter of fact, that's sort of the premise, somewhat of the premise of the adventure. So we don't want to talk about that? No, no, we can. It's, it's part of the opening. It's part of the opening. You're not, I'm not giving away anything. They sent a team in several years ago. You know, one of the members came back and reported what they had found. And then they didn't hear anything from them. So then they sent a team to investigate, and then, then that team disappeared as well. IDET decided that they were not going to send any more people to this portal, that it was dangerous, and they actually sent a team out to lock it. 
so so no other teams could accidentally go in there. Eventually, one of the team members that had gone on the second group, he had a crystal with him still, and he manages to unlock it and get out. And he comes back to Idet and he tells him what you know what he knew about what had happened. And the adventure starts basically at that point. So that's all the background for the adventure. But it basically yeah. addresses that you're playing a team that's going to investigate after actually two other teams were lost. In this adventure, the characters that I give people are actually combatants, and this is an assault team. And it's actually – I don't go into it in, in the at the convention table, but this is basically Idet's first like pure assault team. They had never had a, a reason to form one before now. What do you do? You go to the military and just have them march past the uh, crystal and see who lights it up? Well, no, they, they basically they took all their members. They, they actually broke up a few teams. They took the, the, the heavy hitters from several different teams and put them together into one team. So yeah. sort of like the, the expendables, you know. You've got a team whose the, – the team's specialty is killing or search and rescue, yeah, basically. But it's, it's literally an assault team. And I won't go into the adventure anymore further, but there's actually more elements to it to make it uh, more so of a, of a military – esque type mission although most of the characters have never been in the military they're just you know like uh, just to throw one out there the the shooter guy is a is a, a retired biathlete cops or, heck, it could or be a cop or whatever right it could be you know anyone who knows any type of firearms and or hand-to-hand or weapon you know melee weapon combat they're going to throw them together just to say okay yeah but that's that's just one example of you know if they lose a team you know, what does IDET do? You're right. They put a lot of money into these teams. Was it was it you, John, saying what year are we talking about? Where are we in the campaign? Right. Yeah, it's like, is this year two or year three? You ain't got right. a lot of fringe worry to work with. Right. You, you may not send a team in. And again, mine takes place six years after the two teams were lost. It's like six years later. The guy that comes back was actually stuck on the world for several years. And he manages to finally come back. But they would have never sent a team or maybe never sent a team there uh, otherwise. If Fringe is rare as hen's teeth, they may say, you know, we really want to go and send, you know, send a team there and find out what happened to them, but we just can't risk losing another team. You know, we're gonna, you're going to need to wait until we find more Fringeworthy. And then this could give a, a, an impetus for people to say, well, we got to go and, and, and make finding Fringeworthy our number one priority when we go and explore a world. Because until we get enough Fringeworthy, they're not going to let us go and explore that world and find out what happened to our friends. That can drive them under off time, taking the crystal and going around and trying to find more people rather than just enjoying themselves off the beaches of Cancun. They could decide that when they run across a crystal, they're not going to turn it into IDET, so they'll personally have a crystal so that when they go to worlds, they can actively go and search for Fringeworthy. I mean, they can drive a lot of things when this happens. You could just say, eh, you know, we'll check back with them in about 10 years when there's lots of Fringeworthy and not think twice about it. Or you have a team and they're all good friends and they say, you know what, screw them. We'll grab some Romans, we'll grab some Victorians, we're going to put together a rescue team and go get them. Or you could just simply say, you know, the next time they send us out, we're going to act like we're going to the world we're supposed to go, but we're really going to go somewhere else. Yep. And we're going to go and try to rescue them. So, you know. Right. Bruce, Bruce, my players have never done that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, how, how could I ever even suggest that kind of uh, insubordination? That would never happen. Wait, a team, a team, a team right. not going where they're sent to go. I, it's just a wild thought. I'm ashamed for even mentioning it. What's the phrase? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Most of my relationships are based on that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. 
Sometimes I'm the one who has to give it. <laughs> the dogs operate onto that principle. <laughs> Killing off a team it can actually be a great idea. <laughs> Highly recommended. As in a game setting goes. It's like the Farside cartoon where the, the little chicken is sick and the mom's holding the bowl up to him. And the caption is, so it's nobody we know. <laughs> As long as the team isn't the team that the players are. But even then, you know, you can do that. As long as the players are willing to go with it, if they're tired of playing yeah. their existing characters, killing them off and bringing in a new team, get some payback, that can really be a great thing to do. It just kind of depends on how much your team is invested in their own characters, your, char your players. If this is the perfect team, and they don't ever want to play anybody else, well, I guess it's got to be somebody else's team that's got to be the red shirt. That could be either the player's decision or due to bad dice rolls and, and TPK or just making like, too bad an opponent against them. A situation where a player says, I want to start a new character, but I just don't want to retire General Steele. I want him to go out with a bang. So you arrange for him to go out with a bang. Yeah. And, of course, it writes the very first scenario. What happened to the previous team? <laughs> if you don't ever lose a character when you're gaming then the game becomes less interesting because you don't feel like you can lose. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's good to, to kill a character or at least try to kill a character every once in a while. N not so much try to, but let them off, you know, if they do something stupid. Keep the characters reminded of their mortality. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say, yes. Games like D20 Modern, where the, the design of adventures, you know, lends itself toward creating opponents that, that your players can defeat through their characters. Sometimes it's a good idea to say break from that guideline and say, no, I'm going to create an NPC that nobody can take without an army and wake them up a little bit because you know, otherwise they, they get a little bit you know uncautious. They start thinking, we can take anything because the gym will never kill us because they're not supposed to. To which I say, well, no, in a normal encounter, no. But if you decide to pick a fight, well, then you get what you get. Okay, Carol, now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold Emmy for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey! Now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and new shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But, but no, no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. Thanks again for joining us for the Fringeworthy Broadcast. This is Bruce with all the rest of the TriTech development team. We appreciate that you guys send us your mail as you listen to us. And we hope that we'll hear more from you. Hope that you know, these podcasts are, are helping your campaign. And if they are, let us know because we want to enjoy how awesome your campaign can be. Please come to our demos because we'd really love to show Fringeworthy to you. 
one of the uh, podcasts that was being recorded at Gen Con was introduction to podcasting, and the people who were supposed to be giving it didn't show up. So guess who gave the introduction to podcasting seminar at Gen Con? Yeah, I am one of the hosts from The Walking Eye, and it's going to be on www.gamesalute.com. So check that out. Games Incorporated.